Jimmy Wales, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's great. So I'll admit that for many years, I thought that you were born and raised in the UK. Huh. <laughs> I guess because I've seen your picture many times and maybe you have a sort of British look to you. And I hadn't really heard you speak. And you have a name, Jimmy Wales, that seems like it could be a British name. <laughs> yeah, well, an interesting thing is I am from Alabama. And on my birth certificate, my actual name is Jimmy. Uh, huh. which you wouldn't find in the UK, but you would find in the Deep South in Alabama. Uh, so, yeah, and I've, I've only been here, well, only, I've only been here about 10 years. So, um, And you're, you're in London? I'm, yeah, I'm actually, I'm just outside of London. And are you starting to get an English accent? Well, I mean, it's funny. When, when, I, when I talk to my mother, my very southern mother, um, or the rest of my family in the U.S., they do make fun of certain words that I accidentally say. <laughs> uh, but when, when I'm on the phone and I'm talking to my mom, my wife says I sound like Bill Clinton, so I sort of have a bit of both. So a bit of the Southern can come through. It just depends on the context. But yeah, I do. You know, the kids say tomato instead of tomato, and I, I've been guilty of saying tomato. So what do you spend your time working on these days? So, I, well, a lot of different things. Um, I'm obviously uh, still involved with the world of Wikipedia, so I'm on the board there. And I do various work with the community there. Um, I have as well, since uh, since lockdowns happened, um, I stopped all the travel that I used to do. I used to travel almost constantly uh, giving speeches all around the world about Wikipedia and the Internet and the importance of freedom of expression and so forth. Um, and then more recently, I've, I've had this side project, which has been really fun. I've built a new website called Quiz Night Beyond which is um, the best way to explain it is it, it's like Zoom, but there's a quiz in the middle. So it's a way for people to come on with their friends and family and do trivia quizzes. And that came about because during those lockdowns, I started doing this with my family uh, on Zoom. We were doing quiz games. And, um, you know, Zoom is great, but it's just Zoom. It's, uh, it's not a game. Uh, and I thought it would be more fun if it were really, you know, made properly into a fun game. So that's that's what I've been working on. It's kind of uh, it's launched. I mean, people can go and sign up now and, and invite your friends and family and have a quiz, but it's still very much in testing stages. Like it, it's a early beta software, but it's fun. So when you were a kid growing up in Alabama, did you think about doing stuff like this? Did you ever imagine this kind of life? Hmm. Well, not, not really. I mean, you know, obviously when I was a kid, kid, uh, computers were still sort of big mainframes and things like that, and you didn't really have experience with it on a day-to-day -day basis. But quite early on, um, when I was a teenager, we we were my uncle ran the first computer store in Huntsville, Alabama, and I worked there part time, uh, you know, at the weekends and so forth. Uh, and so we had a computer at home. Uh, my mom got a computer. So even before the IBM PC, we had like a Commodore computer and so forth. So pretty early on, I was sort of interested in that. But I was also interested in, in economics and finance. And actually, it, you know, when I went to college, uh, that's really where, where I focused was finance. I'm not really 
a computer scientist per se. I, I always joke, I can, I'm a programmer, but not a very good one. So. I had read that, at least in the past, you described yourself as an objectivist. Do you still uh, follow oh, objectivist yeah. philosophy? I mean... Yeah, by and large, yes. Uh, I mean, certainly it, it very much informs the way I think about the world and think about things. I don't talk about it as much uh, these days because I think one of the one of the big issues is people do have a huge amount of misconception um, about what those ideas are all about. Um, and so I find that saying that leads people down a, a real spiral, a mental spiral, like they can't understand what I'm talking about at all. So I really prefer instead to talk about some of the core ideas that very much resonate with me, uh, one of which is just the, the idea of reason of uh, what what I would call um, chewing on ideas, sort of taking ideas seriously and being very uh, thoughtful to think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, uh, what are the meaning of things. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of the more broad values associated um, with objectivism that I very much am, am a part of, which is, uh, you know, the importance of um, the individual in, in terms of reason. Uh, in terms of uh, convincing people through reason and not force, uh, the importance of freedom of expression um, is a core value that's obviously very important for uh, Wikipedia. But um, I think, you know, if we look at the state of the world today, is something we should be very concerned about uh, in many places around the world because when we live in an era when misinformation and disinformation is a huge problem, um, what we're seeing is that governments around the world aren't taking advantage of that to pass legislation uh, to crack down on freedom of expression, and and so that you know that's a problem. So, yeah. So, I want to tell you one of the ways that Wikipedia affected me growing up. I I didn't know exactly how to describe my philosophy. Um, I, I guess my philosophy on life, uh, after I'd gone through college. And so what I did was I went to Google and I typed in, uh, a bunch of my beliefs and up popped the Wikipedia page for Hayek, F.A. Hayek. Oh, yes. And, and then I had read that Wikipedia had been at least partly inspired by Hayek's The Use of Knowledge in Society. Is that correct? I've often said that that is the case, but is that actually true? Yeah, yeah, it is true. And, and, and in fact, that's probably worth a little, a little chat, a little bit of discussion, because it is interesting. So that paper, which was in American Economic Review in 1945, I think, it, came, it was published at a time when there was a great intellectual debate about whether uh, about the efficiency of a market system versus a uh, planned economy. And there was sort of a, a whole school of thought that a planned economy could be more efficient because you would gather together all the information and all the inputs, and then the planners could solve a set of differential equations, um, and people were excited about the potential for computers, which didn't exist yet then, but were clearly on the verge. Um, and you would be able to work out the quantities and, and valuations of things that way, and you could do central planning, and you would have a much more efficient society without all the wastage. 
versus a market economy where all the information is really communicated out to the endpoints and then people make decisions there. So a baker decides how much bread to produce on a given day of the week based on their local knowledge of the, of the circumstances. And so Hayek, I think, was the first to really identify that that's what the debate was ultimately about. It's the use of knowledge in society. And that the idea of communicating everything into a central decision maker, um, who then decides for everyone, uh, versus spreading the decision making around. Now, obviously, the analogy to Wikipedia is only an analogy. Uh, Wikipedia is not a market system, it's not a price system. Um, but the, 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 the key element there that's sort of the inspiration is to say, look, the traditional encyclopedia was all about gathering the world's knowledge into a central body of editor-in-chief and, and some key editors and academics. They would make the decisions and they would sort of decide what the truth was and they would put it out there for everyone. Versus the Wikipedia model, which is to say, look, no, actually, let's, let's move the decision-making out to the endpoint. So every single entry in Wikipedia, people can come and, and engage with and, and participate in. Um, and you don't need a top-down editor. What you do need is a set of values and a system uh, for making sure that just doesn't become troll land. Um, and that's, you know, totally interesting and a, and a complicated question in and of itself. But it is that, that main idea that, that may be the best way in society to get the best knowledge is not to centralize and have a top-down system, but to have a bottom-up system. Um, and I think that's mostly proven to be the case. Has anything surprised you about what Wikipedia has become? Um, yes and no. I mean, in general, you know, Wikipedia, um, if, you, if you look at Wikipedia, not on the first day, but, you know, uh, I would say a month in, and you would begin to see it sort of taking shape. And it's actually quite similar today, obviously much bigger. Um, but the, the core principles are still very much what they always were. You know, there's tweaks to the software and this, that, and the other. On the other hand, you know, if we go all the way back to the early days, uh, I remember in the, the very, very early times, I would wake up in the middle of the night and run downstairs to my computer just to check the site because I was convinced that in the middle of the night somebody was going to write a script and, like, you know, sort of vandalize thousands of pages all at once. Um, but then pretty soon I realized, I'm like, oh, actually, there's Wikipedia volunteers around the clock. Like, there's people in Australia who are jumping on Wikipedia in the night, and they're looking after things. And, in fact, you know, it turns out most people aren't vandals, and most people aren't badly behaved. And I think that is one of the big lessons of Wikipedia, which we still uh, review and think on today. I mean, when we look at the at Twitter, for example, um, I'm on Twitter quite a lot. I see you're on Twitter quite a lot. And um, as we all know, it's, it can be very toxic. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of anger, a lot of sort of trolling. Some of it probably state-sponsored. Some of it just people being jerks and so on. But you wouldn't naturally go to Twitter and come away thinking, wow, this is fantastic. Like the general public, like most people are really nice. And like there's a really wonderful thing about being a human being in society. You'd think, oh, my God, like it's chaos out there. People are idiots. And so when you look at Wikipedia and you see even anonymous edits, so people who don't log in, you can still, like more than 99% of the pages of Wikipedia, you can click edit and make a change without even logging in. And when you look at those logged out edits, so these are people who are completely anonymous, 
what you'll see about those edits is they, they are not as good as the edits of an experienced Wikipedia volunteer, but on net, they're positive. They, they're, you know, there's more vandalism there. There's more bad edits or things that are just silly. But most of the time, people are actually making a decent improvement. They're adding uh, a footnote. They're adding a simple fact. They're correcting misspelling. And so from that, you, you do get the sense that you, I think you should get um, when, you, when you think about humanity generally, which is basically most people are very nice. Um, I always – I came up with this analogy several years ago. I actually thought of this when I was, uh, I was visiting Israel. And uh, in Israel at that time, and I haven't been there in a while, but I assume today, there was – there's quite a lot of metal detectors uh, going in and out of restaurants and so on. And it's a very kind of paranoid society, and they've got good reasons for that, for all the reasons that we all know about. And I just thought, oh, this is really interesting. Like, we normally don't think um, that somebody next to us in a restaurant is about to do something horrible and violent. We basically think most people are nice. So I came up with this analogy of a steakhouse. So imagine that you're designing a steakhouse, and you think, um, okay, well, in my restaurant, people are going to have knives. People with knives might stab each other. So we better build a cage around every table. Well, this is obviously a ludicrous way to think. It's not how we think about other people. But, but if we're realistic about problems in society, the truth is occasionally somebody does go crazy in a restaurant and start to stab people. And how do we deal with that? Well, we, you know, somebody in, in the crowd will probably tackle the person, and we say that's a hero, like somebody who's physically fit and strong will jump to, to stop the attack. Then we call an ambulance to try and you know, sort of heal the people who've been injured, and we get the police to come and take the bad guy away. But what we don't do is try to prevent all the problems in advance. And the reason for that is we know that open and trusting societies, like believing in other people that they're basically good and they're going to be all right, um, makes a much stronger and healthier world. That's the world we want to live in, a world where people are basically nice. And we can't be sort of silly and imagine nobody's bad. There are bad people and they do bad things. But we want to design our society and our spaces online around empowering those good people and making it easier to do good than to do harm. And I think one of my critiques of the design of a lot of social spaces online is that they make it easier to do harm and they actually make it tempting to do harm. Uh, the design of them is not really what you would want if you wanted to create a civil and thoughtful and engaging place. Uh, it's a place that's really good for trolling people. It's a really good for um, trying to get engagement by being outrageous. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're outrageous enough on Twitter, you might end up president of the United States. So, you know, that's not a good design, I think. You know, wouldn't it be great if one of our leading political public spaces was a space where you say, wow, the really great thing is that we're seeing the emergence of really interesting and thoughtful leaders. I don't agree with all of them, but even the ones I disagree with, I have to kind of chew on what they're saying. I think they're interesting and they're meaningful people rather than feeling it's just like soundbite mania and it's attacking people and it's kind of this ongoing sort of cacophony of nonsense. So how to fix that, I don't know. Like I have some ideas about that. But um, for me, that to go back to your original question, I'm on a sort of a long <laughs> rant here. But, uh, you know, it's like one of the surprising things I, that I think we learn from Wikipedia is that actually it turns out, as we know from our day-to-day -day lives, most people are perfectly nice. And most people are intelligent, and most people don't really want to just rant and rave at each other. Um, people are thoughtful, and they, they can consider different points of view. And that comes through in the Wikipedia model in a way that online generally you don't always see that.
Yeah. Is there anything about Wikipedia, any dis- decision you've made that you regret? Um, not, not in the big sense, but I, I, I always have to say I'm, I know about myself that I'm a pathological optimist, so I always think everything's fine. So even decisions that were wrong decisions at the time, I think we made them in good faith. So, for example, before Wikipedia, we had a project called Newpedia, which was the same goal of free encyclopedia for everyone, but we didn't know about the wiki model, and it was designed in a very top-down fashion, sort of pre-the Hayekian insight of distributing uh, the, the work more broadly. And... Obviously, in a sense, well, I should have thought of Wikipedia two years sooner and started it two years sooner, but I had to go through that learning process. Similarly, you know, various points in time, uh, getting the foundation up and running. There was a long period of time when the the site was successful, the community was successful, but the Wikimedia Foundation was too tiny um, and not very functional. And, you know, like, obviously, we've made certain decisions at that time that we could have done better. We could have raised more money sooner and sort of gotten professional management sooner and things like that. But in general, um, again, we had to learn. So I, it's kind of hard to, to feel that there's much regret there. Is there some level of technical complexity and detail that a Wiki, Wikipedia page naturally converges to that corresponds to a certain audience? In other words, when you're reading the pages, is it high school level? Is it PhD level? And and what does all this mean? So this is a great a great question, and it's um, I, I think there's there's a lot I can say about it. So so first of all, I think we can acknowledge that the the level, sort of the the academic level, you might call it, of a Wikipedia page is context dependent on what the subject is. So for example, if the if the page in question is um, the Eiffel Tower in Paris. So that's high school level, I'm sure. I haven't, I haven't checked it or anything, but I, any, any high school student could go to that page and read it, and it would be perfectly understandable. And hopefully if there's sort of historical references, there's going to be a link and you could go deeper and so on and so forth. So an expert might get more out of it on a first reading, whereas someone might say, you know, oh, I don't know that. I just I, I read the name of the architect, but I don't know that much about it. So, but it's accessible to everyone. If you go to a page uh, like uh, I don't know stochastic differential equations, um, that's an advanced topic in mathematics. I doubt many high school students would be able to read the entire article and comprehend it all. And that's just the nature of the subject. Now, I hope, so, you know, that the first paragraph should present that concept in a way that's pretty comprehensible to any adult reader. So you'll go there and you'll say, okay, I know more or less what this topic is about. I get that it's a topic in mathematics and it has to do with random variables and equations and it's used for this and that. And and you you get that even if further down it gets into some technicalities that would be quite hard to to deal with if if you don't know that much about it. And I find a lot of the uh, just in the last year or so, I've been reading a lot of stuff about cryptography. A lot of it's like that. Like you'll find, okay, the basic concept of a particular encryption algorithm, you can get the basic concept in the first paragraph. But if you go further down, there's actual equations and so forth. And it's a little like, ooh, okay, that's a bit heavy for me. And I would really have to sort of stop and work through that to understand it. So 
And, and that idea actually comes out naturally because of the way Wikipedia is written. And I think one interesting aspect of this, sometimes people say, oh, why don't you do a Wikipedia for children? Because a lot of Wikipedia is too advanced and too complicated for children. It's not written for children. It's written for your typical adult. And one of the reasons is it's actually really hard to know what children know. Um, unless you are a teacher um, who works with eight-year-olds or 12-year-olds on a daily basis, I think most of us don't really have a good grasp on how much science detail does a typical 10-year-old know and are they ready to handle. And there may be no one answer to that question, but the point is it's kind of hard to figure out. Uh, a lot of times an adult trying to write for a child might dumb it down way too much and, and you wouldn't be satisfying their intellectual curiosity or you might hit too high a level. But actually, as I understand it, the World Book Encyclopedia, which is written for children, they are very conscious of this, and, and they will say our entry about tiger should be accessible to a first grader because first graders love to read about tigers. Hmm. Um, it should still meet the needs of that 12-year-old, but you know, a 7-year-old should be able to read the article on tiger. But if the, if the article is physics, we're kind of okay with that being really not quite accessible to a 7-year-old. That's a tougher article. So even there in that context, they've, they realize – you know, actually context matters. Like what, what the topic is does to some extent determine how academically difficult it needs to be. So in some sense, the convergence is natural. It happens on its own. If the topic is very complex, you'll yeah. get a more complex yeah. result. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and so, you know, I, I think a lot of us use Wikipedia for pretty routine topics, uh, you know, that are pretty easy to understand. It's just like, it's not that I'm trying to learn a new field of knowledge. It's like, oh, I'm doing a podcast with Justin. I'm going to go and check his Wikipedia entry so I remember what his political career was because that's interesting. And anybody should be able to read that. Whereas there are other times, like with cryptography as an example, I'm not just sort of, sort of vaguely going, oh, I heard about Bitcoin. I wonder what that is. I actually want to know deeper, so I, I'm willing to put in more effort on a Wikipedia entry. I'm not just glancing at general information. I'm actually trying to dig deeper. And I want that as well. Is Wikipedia a form of artificial intelligence? <laughs> I'm no. I'm going to say no. I, uh, there's this term, collective intelligence, which I slightly bristle out because I think it's it's often abused, and I don't know. The word collective seems a bit weird to me. But it, so, in terms of AI, uh, for me, in terms of algorithms, um, Wikipedia is written by humans, and in fact, most of the software is pretty simple. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to disparage the developers. It's a very sophisticated system, but the point is it's a database, and you store files, and you edit the files, and you change the files, and you store more. And obviously, we have to do it at massive scale, and we have to have a good user interface and all of that. But it's not like there's some deep, deep algorithms that make Wikipedia great. There aren't. Like, it's humans. I mean, the only algorithm is... is thoughtful human minds working together collaboratively in a thoughtful way to get a good result. And I think we're still a very long way from uh, having AI algorithms be able to do much use at all for Wikipedia, much less write Wikipedia. Um, you know, people get pretty excited sometimes about, uh, you've probably seen snippets of text from uh, GPT-3, which is an AI project that generates 
pretty plausible looking English language texts. But when you really read them and you read them as a Wikipedian would, you're like, this isn't very good. And it doesn't actually, you know, like, and if you think about, okay, GPT-3, here's an AI, go write uh, an article, go read stuff on the web and write an article about the Eiffel Tower. You're still going to get a random motley collection of facts that's not put together in a way that any human would recognize as a sensible sort of way of doing things. And, and an encyclopedia entry is more than just a listing of random facts you found on the web. It's actually constructed as a particular collection of narrative with sections and chronologies and, and also human judgments about what's actually important and the level of importance. So I, I, an example I like to give about how different language versions of Wikipedia may vary, if you read, uh, you know, if you read in English Wikipedia, and, and you're reading some article, and you just happen to mention um, Paul McCartney and the Beatles. You don't need to parenthetically explain a famous band from the 1960s. And that's probably true for them in every language of the world. But if you pick somebody sort of less globally impactful, um, I don't know, Black Sabbath. I don't know why I mentioned Black Sabbath, but <laughs> Black Sabbath, like I know who Black Sabbath is. I bet most English listeners vaguely have a clue. I'm older, so maybe that's why I know. But I think if you went to Thailand, they've never heard of Black Sabbath. And if you mention Black Sabbath, you probably better explain it's a heavy metal band. Um, and so that knowing about the context of your reader, like what do they know? What do you need to explain to them? is a very human thing to sort of think about other people's minds and context think, oh, well, we don't really need to spell out that Paul McCartney and the Beatles, that's about a band. Everybody knows that. Um, but in another context, we might go, no, actually, you can't just mention something casually. You have to actually explain who that is. Yeah, I do, I do still wonder about this artificial intelligence issue, though. Isn't an information market a form of artificial intelligence in a sense that it's producing some outcome that nobody – can design, right? Mm -hmm. Wikipedia is not really designed by anyone. Um, it's uh, it's I mean, people it's, coming it's, together. It's an analogy. I mean, certainly, um, but, but I mean, for me, the big difference is it's not a computer doing it, it's humans. And so that's where I, it's, it's actual intelligence, actual human intelligence as opposed to artificial. But the analogy you're drawing, I think there is something to that that sort of idea of like Wikipedia, the final result at any given moment, is an emergent property of a lot of interactions and isolating pieces of it and trying to use that to explain the bigger thing is a limited kind of endeavor because it's actually the whole is more than the sum of the parts in, in that sort of sense. And I think there is some truth to that, although I think it's pretty – like one of the things that's interesting about Wikipedia is that Rather than being – so some people's model in their mind of, of what Wikipedia is, it's like 10 million people adding one sentence each, uh, and somehow magically it becomes an encyclopedia. But really, the bulk of it is small group collaboration. It's three or four people really diligently working away. And, of course, there will be contributions from others, but those people are the ones who are really focused on saying, oh, let's make sure that this uh, entry is, is comprehensive and correct. So, an example of this, uh, and it's also a, a good way to get a little bit of insight further into how Wikipedia actually works, there's uh, Wiki Project Bridges. So this is a group of people who are interested in the architecture and history of bridges. 
And Wiki Project Bridges is a great project, and they go around to all the articles about bridges in Wikipedia, and they rate them, and they say, good, you know, are they good articles, are they poor, do they need expanding, and so forth. And they also have a set of criteria in, in mind that they talk about, like, oh, well, every article about a bridge should say it's linked, and they should have a source for that link. They should tell the year it was built, and they should have a source for that, and so on and so forth. And that's just people, right? And they're doing fairly obvious set of things. If you say, look, if you want to write a comprehensive guide to every notable bridge in the world, there's certain elements you would want to have for that. And that's what they do. But it's really just human beings thinking it through, having a discussion, and getting to work doing it, rather than some kind of mysterious, like, ooh, all these people come together and like magic, an encyclopedia happens. So it's a little more comprehensible than a lot of AI black boxes would be, where we say, you know, actually, if you try to explain how does a vision algorithm identify, you know, all of the uh, traffic lights in an image, which mostly we do <laughs> on those capture things, um, you know, like once you get to the algorithm, it's like, well, it's not like it wrote down a set of rules that you can actually understand. And that's actually one of the interesting issues around AI and algorithms in all kinds of contexts. So things like, um, you know, questions about bias in mortgage lending. So if AIs are making decisions about mortgage lending based on a huge set of criteria, okay, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but at least with humans, you're able to say, okay, humans, like, look, we noticed that you're actually not lending in these sort of poorer neighborhoods. Let's talk about that. You're not lending to people who have a traditionally black name, even if they live in a good neighborhood and have a good job, like, why is that? And as humans, we might go, ooh, actually, we need to check our systems. Are we being biased in a way that we hadn't noticed? With an AI, it's kind of like, well, that's the output of the AI, and you can't really go in and sort of figure out why it made the decision. Not very well. I mean, people are working on that kind of explainability for AI, but it's a tough problem in that context. To push this just a little further, you had mentioned earlier that it was a database. At least you, I think you used that word to yes. describe it. To what extent would you describe it as a knowledge machine versus a database? In other words, to what extent is it making knowledge versus recording knowledge? For example, if you put every human being in the world into some solitary box and um, they had editing and viewing access and no other inputs, will knowledge keep growing? <laughs> Uh, as they learn from each other, or does it level off? To, what happens? Yeah. So, so first of all, I guess I should be clear. Like Wikipedia, the software has a database, right? We store stuff yeah. in the database. So I didn't mean that Wikipedia itself, as a whole operation, is a database. It's obviously a community and a, it's a project and it's right. an endeavor. Um, but but the question you're asking is a little bit different. It's it's about the creation of new knowledge versus the recording of existing knowledge. And I would say for that, we by and large have taken a pretty firm stand that an encyclopedia is here to record knowledge from reliable sources. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, one of the earliest reasons, and this is an actual true story, is like um, in, in physics, for example, um, there are, as it turns out, a lot of physics crackpots out there who are really eager to publish their new theory of magnetism. And 
we in the early days of Wikipedia, I remember in particular, somebody kept sending me their sort of five-page document, which is their new theory of magnetism. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, I, I think you're a crackpot, but I'm not a physicist. What do I know? Like, this doesn't look like sensible stuff to me, but maybe it's revolutionary. But we, as Wikipedians, aren't, we're not well-placed to make those decisions. So part of the answer there was, was both, what I say, it's epistemological, meaning having to do with knowledge, but it's also social. So the social piece is, it's actually quite rude to call someone a crackpot because they've spent a lot of time writing you five pages of theory of magnetism. It's going to only upset them, and maybe they aren't. It's much nicer to say, wow, this looks really interesting, but we only accept things from reliable sources. Here's the Harvard Journal of Physics. Why don't you go and get it published there, and then we'll be happy to cover it because we're an encyclopedia. We're not the place for original research. So we have a, a rule, no original research, which I also think is the right thing for an encyclopedia. An encyclopedia is a synthesis. It's a, it's a tertiary source. You know, it's, it relies on secondary sources, primary sources to a lesser degree. And so we, what we really want to do is to say, no, actually what we're trying to do is summarize human knowledge, uh, be neutral and fair, try to cover all sides that are reasonable to cover, be thoughtful about what that means, um, and not necessarily create new knowledge. Now, there is the, the sort of interesting and cute philosophical question, uh, which is going back to this idea of an emergent property, that in fact, doing just that, cataloging everything that we know as a human species as best we can into this enormous body of work is in a way a new type of knowledge and a new a new way of accessing knowledge that I'm sure is is I'm sure is very much uh, fueling um, our understanding as individuals trying to learn about the world and trying to understand things. You know, we, we think about one of the problems of academia has always been for a long, long time and continues to be today, the, the siloing, that there's, you know, cross-disciplinary research is quite hard to do and they aren't very good at it. And a lot of that has to do with the incentive structures at universities and tenure committees and so on and so forth. Like you really, you know, to succeed in academia, you need to go really, really deep on one topic that only seven people in the world understand. And there's not a huge benefit in that narrow confines placing your work in a broader intellectual context, but Wikipedia does that. And I think that's interesting because it does mean that, you know, if you are someone who is has a really deep and advanced understanding of, um, I don't know, geology and oil, and you also realize that, gee, geology and oil has a huge impact on economics, and economists are trying to write about the oil market, but they're misunderstanding some fundamental things about it. And we're trying to write about economics, but we don't really understand economics. It's actually kind of cool that Wikipedia probably can help both of them to at least get um, a basic grounding and a, and a framework to go, okay, now I, at least we have a shared language because we've all read Wikipedia that we can start to discuss sort of cross-disciplinary thinking uh, in a better way, which you wouldn't be able to do if, if everybody just wrote siloed deep dive books that have no relation to anything else. One of the things I'm wondering is who polices what is acceptable or private. For example, if someone wanted to assemble someone's dating history on mm. Wikipedia, in other words, they said, oh, we're going to really show this guy. We're going to put his dating history. And you had a whole bunch of people and maybe no one person could assemble it, but a bunch of people could. <laughs> uh, who who polices that? How does 
How does that so, get worked out? Yeah, so the so there's a couple of elements there. So one element is um, reliable sources. So we require reliable sources for everything. And so, you know, if you put a, fa a random fact in Wikipedia and you don't have a source for it, chances are it's just going to be removed. And certainly if you went into a huge project to do that, um, then, you know, that would draw a lot of attention and, and people would say, what are you doing that you don't have sources for that and so on. You know, in some cases, people's dating history, not of private people, of celebrities or whatever, that's part of history. It's, there's nothing particularly wrong with saying who went out with who in, in their biography. Um, and the, another element of it is um, what we call our, our, bio, our BLP policy, so biographies of living persons. And we basically say, you know, there's a limit on who we should have a biography on. And one of the factors that we should consider is, is human dignity. In other words, to say, look, um, this person, so a, a classic kind of example is uh, someone who is notable or, or in the press for only one reason, um, so one event. And the, and the classic case of that is a victim of a crime. So somebody, a completely random person minding their own business, gets killed by a serial killer. And the serial killer ultimately ends up being famous. Do we need a biography on that victim? And it's interesting because... Sometimes people approach me feeling that we're being sort of horrible to the victims of crime, that we don't let them have an entry. And it's like, no, that's not really it. It's like we can't write a biography about someone if the only thing we know is they got killed by a serial killer and they were a private person otherwise. There can be cases where enough information emerges that it is worthwhile to have a biography of that person. But our first instinct is to go, yeah, no, we probably can't. And similarly, you know, in other cases – People who aren't, uh, you know, they've been in the press for one thing. Uh, maybe they were, uh, they were on American Idol and they lost in the first round. And then they were never really heard from again because, whatever, they didn't have a, a great music career. Can we have a biography of that person? Well, we probably can dig up their basic press biography of the time they were on the show. But after that, can we maintain it? They're not going to be in the press. They're a private person. They gave up their singing career and became a dentist. And that's great. But... Like, what, what is there to really know about them? And can we responsibly maintain a biography about them? So we do make those kinds of decisions. But that, who makes the decisions? It's really the community. So it's the really active editors. Uh, there's a whole set of internal processes. So, you know, uh, there's nominate things for deletion. There's deletion debate. There's deletion review. There's... For bigger disputes, there's the arbitration committee, there's the admins who are elected from the community, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of layers and a sort of substance to how the community works, and it's quite complicated, uh, a lot of moving parts, but it, you know, it more or less works. So one of your guiding principles is neutrality, but <clears throat> is that even a thing? Is there <laughs> such a thing as neutrality? Because isn't all information human perspective-driven and um, is it the selection of, of facts, like which, which facts or information is put out there? Isn't that, in some sense, not neutral? So, I mean, yes and no. I mean, obviously, there's some truth to the idea that we all come to knowledge uh, from a certain perspective of who we are, of what we know about, the things we regard as important, and so on and so forth. But I think if we if we really step back, if you go too far down that path and you just say, well, everything's biased, so 
play it deuces wild, like whatever, anything goes, it's chaos. And I think instead you can say, look, actually neutrality is, is a goal and we can be closer to it or further away from it. And to be closer to it means to be thoughtful about a debate and realize, okay, there are multiple sides to the debate. And so um, I, can, I, I may disagree with the other side, but I can understand that they've got arguments some of the arguments are better than others and so on and so forth. And there's some evidence and there's this and that and the other. Um, and we can, we can approach uh, a better thing than just say, give up and just like, let's just be biased. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, there is no simple answer here. And I don't have any sort of, I'm not the next Aristotle who's had some major breakthrough in understanding uh, questions of bias and neutrality. More, I just have a pretty simple and old fashioned view that, Quality work uh, does involve taking into account uh, a wide range of facts, being fair to all the, the parties who believe different things. And, and for me, again, this is both uh, an epistemological and a social thing. So epistemologically, when I go to an encyclopedia, what do I want from an encyclopedia? I don't want to be told one side of the story and be told what to think and have other viewpoints hidden from me and suppressed. Uh, that's not going to help me become a better person. It's not going to help me understand the world. Even if the side that's being suppressed is wrong, just simply wrong, um, then, you know, I still, I think I'd like to know about it. So I understand. So if, if you go to Wikipedia and you read our entries on evolution, they don't sort of treat evolution and creationism as equals side to side. On the other hand, you can read about creationists and creationism and what do they believe and what arguments do they put forward. That's in Wikipedia as well. You should go and be able to learn about that. And so, you know, that... That approach to knowledge, I think, is what you want from an encyclopedia, but also socially, it's really important. Like, if you adopt this kind of philosophy and, and the view, then you can say, okay, look, um, you know, you're, you're uh, my favorite example is a Catholic priest um, who is very much opposed to abortion and a Planned Parenthood activist who has a completely different view. And both of them can understand, like Wikipedia is not going to come down on one side or the other on this very divisive and controversial issue. But what it should do is, is for any reader, you come and you say, oh, I really want to understand what, what are they debating about? And so you should come away and you can say, oh, actually, I understand that the Pope has said this and uh, you know, theologians have said that and the Catholic Church position is this and critics have responded with this and that and the other. And you say, oh, actually, now I understand the debate. And I think when you've done that well, that Planned Parenthood activist and that Catholic priest can sit together, having worked on the article together, and say, we've done a good job. Like, we've presented this. If you read this, you're not getting one-sided screed. You're actually going to understand the issue. And actually, people who are confident in their ideas are happy with that, right? If you're unconfident in your beliefs, you kind of want to suppress the other side because you're scared if people know it, they won't agree with you. But if you, if you know what you're talking about, you're like, yeah. Go ahead and, and study flat earth, right? Study it all you want because I'm not threatened by that because if, if you've sort of read all the evidence on both sides, you'll kind of come to the conclusion that, yeah, the earth isn't flat. It's actually, you know, it's a sphere. It's a sphere and it rotates around the sun and all of that. And so, you know, I think that element of things is, it drives a lot of what we see today. I mean, just today I tweeted, um, I bought a book I wasn't even interested in because I saw this campaign for an academic publisher to re, to not publish the book. And I went and I read the sort of description of the book and I'm like, 
doesn't sound crazy. I don't know if it's correct or not. I'm not that interested, but I'm like, I don't like this idea that, gee, here's here's an author who I disagree with. I'm going to start an internet petition and campaign for the publisher to not publish their book. And And the reasons given were quite clearly, we think that the ideas in this book are wrong, not shoddy. You know, you could say for an academic publisher, you could say, gee, you're about to publish a book with shoddy uh, referencing and poor argumentation and they didn't even spell the words right. That's not that's not good enough for an academic publisher. But to say these ideas are bad, don't publish this book. I find that very like just bad, wrong. Mm-hmm. wrong. Um, not something we should encourage in society. So this is a question that comes up a lot. And I, I've seen you address it before, though I don't know that I I've heard an exact answer to this. What should someone do if there's something incorrect about them on Wikipedia? But there's, but they have no news to cite. There's no place where they can cite it other than their own personal knowledge. But it's like it's very correct. It may even be damaging to them. Yeah. So there's a few things about that. So um, it depends a lot on the specific context. So the the paths that people have and, and what they should do depends a lot. So if it's a damaging negative statement and it doesn't have a source, uh, then our rule is anybody can remove it, even the subject of the article, although we don't necessarily recommend that. So we don't have a hard rule against editing your own entry, but in general, you shouldn't. It's not necessarily the best strategy. Um, in, in other cases, it's more like a feeling of bias or, yeah, it's negative about me and it's not true, but there is a source and maybe it pushes the source. or There's a, there's a lot of complexity, obviously, you can imagine. So, yeah, so what if that what if that source is wrong? In other words, there is a source. Yeah, the source has yeah, wrong information, yeah. and there's not really a good way to correct it. It's sort of easier, in a way, to think about this in a in a sort of a, a slightly innocuous uh, example. Um, I I remember I met once a very controversial. Uh, I won't name the name, but a very controversial um, conservative columnist, and uh, she said to me there's a problem with my Wikipedia entry. And I was like, yeah, I can imagine. Like it quotes a lot of outrage. And that wasn't it. It was some very minor detail of her college career that she was very upset that was wrong. She was very happy with all of the sort of remarks that were quoted that most people right. find sort of breathtaking. So uh, so the, the things to do, so things not to do first, don't create a sock puppet and pretend to be somebody you're not. I think that's unhealthy. Often you can post a note on the talk page, particularly if there is a reference, um, and just say, oh, hey, if somebody could look at this reference, it actually responds to that bit that, that I don't agree with, or here's the correct birth date of birth, and here's the reference. Simple stuff like that. Depending on the person, though, that can be quite hard. Like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that Britney Spears post on the talk page of her entry just because she's going to accidentally generate a news story about her editing Wikipedia. So obviously that's not realistic. So, you know, in that case, a representative could do it. But also, you can just email us. Like, there's a whole team of volunteers who man the OTRSQ, as we call it, but the ticket system. Um, and they give, a, you know, pretty good advice on, on what to do next and what to do. And then finally, one of the things is, uh, you know, for some people, like, the right answer is just get, get the correct answer out there in a reliable source. So, you know, if if there's something wrong about you, then at the end of the interview, when the journalist says, is there anything I should have asked you? You can say, yeah, I, I actually don't like 
you know, um, Iron Maiden. And <laughs> it seems to be on the internet that I like Iron Maiden, and I'd appreciate it if you would print that I don't. Yeah. So I've done that before. I've sort of said, like, it's really weird what Wikipedia says my hobbies are. It's not, not actually, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had, at times, I've had some incorrect information. Um, I remember one of one of the things we had that was uh, a difficult one to fix was actually I was the chairman of the House Liberty Caucus, and it was hard to get it corrected. I'm still not sure it's corrected, um, <laughs> that it's that it was not a continuation of Ron Paul's former Liberty Caucus, but in fact was a brand new Liberty Caucus, a separate, a separate entity, but, but it's, it's almost impossible to correct something like that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people, what people have done is just post on their own blog to say, Oh, just a a factual note that you may find interesting, but then (laughs) weird as your blog, if there's no other reason for it, but yeah, it, I mean, and that's a good example because it's not uh, like, it's not particularly, it's not like horrible. No, it's not damaging. It's just, uh, just like incorrect. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it's also the other thing. It's like it's quite easy to see how the press can be sort of vague about that, and and they and like they yes. don't really care what the lineage is. You care, and people who relevant people care, but the general public may be like, okay, so what? Like I've never heard of either of those things. So yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It's it's one of the. Um, there's a there's a, a cute I think it's a there's an XKCD you know that comic strip it's a really funny web comic about cytogenesis um, and this is what can happen like there may be an error in Wikipedia let's hope innocuous and then some lazy journalist sort of reads it and thinks it's um, true because they just saw it in Wikipedia then they write it in a reliable source and nobody fact checks it. And then somebody goes and adds the source to, to what the article that was published. So now it's like, well, it's in the source. It's the New York Times said it. It's like, well, where did the New York Times get that? They got it from Wikipedia. Like, they, they shouldn't. Like, that's not what journalists should do, but there we are. And we've seen that in a couple of cases. Actually, in my case, there was a, a funny thing that happened once. Uh, Biography Magazine, which I think is a publication of the History Channel or something like that. It's a magazine, Biography. And they had a you know, an, an entry, an article about me. And in it, it said, in his spare time, he enjoys playing chess with friends. And I'm like, well, that sounds great. <laughs> I like that version of me, but it's not actually true. Like I played chess when I was 13 years old. I'm not very good at it. Uh, and so I was like, well, that's odd. Like, where did they get that? And I emailed them and they're like, oh, well, it was in your Wikipedia entry. And I went and looked <laughs> and it was already gone. Somebody had removed it, but it was in there for like a day. Some rando had come and put in there that as a joke or something, and then it was removed because there was no source. But on that day, this magazine got it and put it in the magazine. So I'm like, well, now there's a valid source. So it could come back at some point. And I left a note on the park page saying, oh, by the way, I don't actually play chess with friends, but um, thanks. It's actually interesting. I, I, I'm curious. I'm going to ask. A, I was invited to put the first uh, – do, do a ceremonial first move in the World Chess Championship, which is just like throwing out the first ball in a baseball game. And I wonder if they had read that article and thought, oh, yeah, Jimmy's into chess. <laughs> a ceremonial first move. And what if you make the wrong first move? I guess it just doesn't count. It's just a – Yeah, I think it's just for the photo op. I just did the... wonder. I'm like, <laughs> like, it's quite amusing. I'm going to move that the pawn from the rook. Like, right, mess first. up someone's game. No, so... they told me, like, no, do this move. <laughs> Is, it seemed like a polite thing to do. Is 
Wikipedia a force for good, or is it just a mirror of people, good or bad? Well, I I hope it's a force for good. I try for it to be. And one of the things I talk about in the community is, although neutrality is a core value to everything that we do, there's also, I think, some very basic ethics about what we do. So it's it's about things like, with biographies, let's try really hard to get it right. And if there's errors, let's try to fix that. Let's try to be neutral and explain the world to people. Let's try to be quality information in an era where there's a lot of misinformation and chaos. And I think that's a very big moral mission uh, for Wikipedia without getting into sort of all the things that you might mean by a moral mission. It's a very basic moral mission of like, be decent human beings as a start. That, that's a good starting point. So uh, there is that. Um, but it also, of course, it reflects people. But for me, this is one reason we can be a bit more optimistic than we usually are about people. I think most people, um, you know, they want to they wanna have a good job um, and they want to do fun things when they're not at work and they want to look after their kids and their families. Um, they want to have fun with friends. And they don't want to be toxic to other people and so on and so forth. And I actually, in, in talking about politics, um, one thing that I, I have said in the past, and I, I don't know, we're in a very different era today, but like one of the things that I think is true is that a lot of people, say New Yorkers, for example, so I grew up in Alabama and I live in London, um, they sort of have a, a certain view of what the person in Alabama is like. And they are a racist, redneck, hillbilly, kind of horrible human being who hates gay people. And I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff you can disagree with about the politics and beliefs of people in Alabama. But if you come with the approach that they are horrible, mean-spirited people, you're not going to convince them and you're not going to understand them as people at all. That in fact... What they are is nice people who go to church and they care about their family and they want to have a good job. And yes, they probably have certain biases. Guess what? We all do. Yes, they should probably work harder to overcome their biases. So should we all. And unless we actually say, you know, fundamentally, almost every ordinary person is a basically interesting, clever, decent person. Um, you know, what I say is if you think about all the people you meet in a year's time, out of every thousand, probably 10 of them are really annoying, but that's all. Like, they're not actually malicious, horrible people. They're just annoying, right? And that's bad, but whatever. And the number of people who are actively really kind of criminally malicious or even like man manipulative and abusive, it's relatively small. They exist, so we can't be too naive about that. But if you, in politics, I think when people sort of paint sort of with a broad brush, um, I, I, the, the example where I first kind of realized this is uh, John Kerry once said in his failed presidential bid, he made a, a, some comment about, um, you know, even down in Alabama with their pickup trucks and Confederate flags, they want to have decent health care like we have in my state. And I was like, you know, there's like one of the leading sort of uh, teaching hospitals in Birmingham, Alabama. And Alabama actually, the, the real irony was Alabama had a very similar program to what they had put in in his state. And so it was like, wow, like that's just really an offensive comment about people who don't hear you saying, um, I think we're all in this together and everybody fundamentally wants some of the same things and I'm here to represent that. It's like, 
you're saying even these idiots agree with me, and that's like that's not that's not good politics. So anyway, that's that's my rant about um, how politicians can lose elections by not respecting. <laughs> you people. don't, yeah, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> I'm I'm with you 100. percent I think that not enough people see the goodness in other people, and you're right. Yeah. We all we all have our biases, and uh, we all also come to this world with our own experiences that that impact our lives and. I think yeah. if we don't try to understand each other, um, that's where we really fail. So yeah, we're in a, we're in a pickle. So yeah, yeah. Well, Jimmy Wales, I could talk to you for another two hours, but I know you have other things to attend to. <laughs> I I hope that we'll we'll have a chance to do something like this again um, because I yeah. really I really enjoyed this discussion. Well, I think um, at some point we should we should try to do it again. And actually. I think some people are going to be disappointed. We we did a whole hour and we didn't even mention section 230. Yeah, I know it's on my <laughs> Look, it's on my list of things to talk to you about, but it'll have to wait for another time we'll, where we'll people can find it on Twitter too. <laughs> yes, yes. Suffice to say, if you and I have a conversation about section 230, it's just going to be a, a fanboy club. <laughs> right. Uh, what we need to do is get a third person on to debate us. That might be more interesting. Yeah. I think you and I see pretty closely eye to eye on that one. So. I think so. Good. Well, thanks, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll connect again soon. Yeah, great. All right. All right. All right. Take care. Thank you.